0: Our daily meditation practice is uh, the foundation of our Dharma practice. Uh, when it comes to our meditation practice, the most important element of the practice is the daily sitting. For myself, uh, it's very important for me to, to practice every day, to sit every day. You know, Unlike everybody else, I'm not perfect and every now and again I miss a day. Uh, Takes time to develop a consistent practice. It took me time, uh, where uh, the motivation and the attention and the commitment to practice was there to the point where uh, I made an effort, and you know there was that wholehearted wish to want to sit every day. I am very motivated. To, to practice every day, to sit and to get down in, on, on the proverbial meditation cushion, if it's a chair or a cushion or a bench, whatever we practice on, uh, I'm motivated to do that every day uh, because I understand through my, my time of practice that if I meditate every day it's going to support me profoundly In my efforts to be able to take skillful action during the course of the day. And that's my great motivation, and it's really the great motivation for all of us to practice is that our meditation practice puts us in a position to be able to take action, take skillful action, action that's in support of the heart. That's what the great motivation to meditate is so that we can act skillfully, so that we can act toward ourselves and towards others with love and kindness and compassion. Because of course, as the Buddha tells us, it's our actions that determine our happiness in this life. And we come to know that over time. We come to understand that over time, that it's our actions, it's what we do. And we come to understand over time that our capacity to take skillful action, action that's in support of the heart, uh, is, is profoundly, profoundly affected by uh, our capacity to develop our skills in meditation, to develop the qualities that we develop in meditation. That's what's going to enable us to take skillful action. That's the proximate cause of skillful action, concentration, the concentration that we develop through meditation. So our meditation practice, what we practice today, is mindfulness of breathing. Mindfulness of breathing is our our primary practice within the the confines of the Buddha's teaching. It was the Buddha's primary practice. It was the practice that led to the Buddha's awakening. Uh, So uh, this practice of mindfulness of breathing uh, that I kind of took us through this, this morning, uh, this afternoon for some of you, uh, is a practice in which we uh, are seeking to cultivate concentration, but a very specific kind of concentration, sometimes known as the Buddhist concentration, uh, also known as jhana. Jhana. So, you know, I often have this conversation with people uh, uh, when we talk about concentration, uh... you know somebody might say well what do you You know somebody might say well my concentration isn't so good and i would say well what do you mean by concentration uh, we tend to think of concentration as focus focus the ability to focus the attention on the object that's one element of the buddhist concentration uh, there's four primary elements and just the ability to focus the attention on the object uh, the what the Buddha found and what we find as we practice isn't enough to really be able to sustain us in terms of being able to accomplish our objectives, which is skillful action and happiness of heart. So, uh, and this is what the Buddha realized. So the qualities of jhana include focus, singleness of mind, but they also include ease, which is a quality that we develop with the breath, but then we learn to spread to the entire body. So the Buddha's concentration includes uh, a full-body awareness that's easeful and is pleasurable. So ease is a mental, is a physical quality of energy in the body. And when we develop our concentration to the point where that ease, that easeful energy, is flowing throughout the body. The level that's just right, it leads to this quality of pleasure, which is actually a mental quality. The mind uh, registers pleasure. When the mind registers pleasure, then it really wants to settle down into the moment and be in the moment. It becomes content with being in the moment. And the more we practice, in a way in which we cultivate focus but also ease and pleasure, this leads to real strength of mind, that quality of equanimity that enables us to stay present with the breath and in the body in all circumstances, in all circumstances. So the Buddha's concentration it includes these qualities of ease and pleasure and uh, it's a strong concentration that uh, by definition, we're able to maintain, at least to some extent, in all of our postures as we go throughout the day, in all of our activities. So that's really the, the mark of, of concentration is that we're able to maintain present moment awareness, ease, and a pleasurable abiding as we go through the course of our day. So Uh, It's often said that the development of concentration is the heart of the path, is the heart of the path, but uh, it's not the goal. Like any path, a path leads to a goal. Uh, The heart of the path uh, is this quality of jhana, of ease and pleasure, and uh, this quality of concentration, this concentration, uh, leads us to the goal, puts us in a position to know the goal, which means essentially that it puts us in position to take action. It puts us in position to take skillful action. It puts us in position to take action that's informed by compassion and loving-kindness, to know the joy of living. There is an element of happiness in concentration, sometimes we call that the happiness of concentration, but it's not the greatest happiness. The greatest happiness is the happiness that we know when we take skillful action. And uh, our uh, our, uh, capacity to develop concentration uh, will determine our capacity to take skillful action. Our action is ultimately what determines our happiness in this life. And again, this is what the teachings tell us. Again, as we come to understand this more, and the only way that we can truly understand this is through practice, then we become more motivated to want to meditate because we know our meditation. The, the motivation to meditate just to achieve calmness will only take you so far, or just to achieve lack of stress, or just to achieve a blissful state will only take you so far. And of course, if I was, you know, in my younger days, and when I was tending to be more facetious, I would say, and not very far uh, what motivates us to practice is, uh, is uh, our capacity to experience the fruits of the Dhamma, which, are, which is, comes through skillful action. That's what's ultimately going to motivate you to get on the cushion is the understanding that your meditation is going to enable you to live in a way that you're able to uh, come from the heart and, and discern what actions are skillful and live from the heart. That's ultimately what is going to motivate us to meditate, not just to achieve some state or even to achieve a lack of stress. I mean, that's great that's great there's nothing wrong with any that but to achieve what we're capable of achieve, achieving as human beings our potential you know we're here to as i often talk about to to reach our potential you know, to reach our potential uh, what's going to motivate us to meditate is that it enables us to reach our potential through skillful action so we seek in our meditation practice to cultivate this easeful and pleasurable abiding that we're able to maintain to some extent throughout the course of our day. This is the state in which we're able to be most effective as human beings. This is the state in which we're able to be most effective as human beings, the state in which the body is, uh, has an easeful and pleasurable quality to it. It's the state in which we're most able to take skillful action. It's the state in which we're able to take action that leads to happiness. So I like to call it the most favorable state. The most favorable state in my book on skillful pleasure. uh, I call it the most favorable state. I'll put a a section from the book in the notes uh, uh, that speaks to this notion of the most favorable state. The most favorable state is the state in which the body is pervaded with ease and internal pleasure, skillful pleasure, the pleasure that comes from uh, concentration, that comes from breath meditation. So this is why the Buddha developed this kind of concentration and sought to develop this concentration. Uh, He had developed other concentrations and became quite adept at those kinds of concentration, uh, ascetic-type practices, rigorous practices of focus and concentration, altered states, out-of-body states. Uh, but he found that they didn't get him to where he wanted to get, that he couldn't reach the goal of a greater happiness in life. Uh, he learned that he in order to... Reach the goal that he sought, which was a greater happiness, awakening, he needed to develop uh, this kind of concentration that included ease and pleasure. And what he found was that if he could develop this easeful pleasure and, uh, and pleasurable abiding, he was in a position in which he could awaken, in which he could make the most of his life, in which he could live a life of awakened action. Because that was really that's the story of the Buddha, right? It's a life of awakened action. It's the story of a guy who, for 45 years, was out there, in the trenches, teaching the Dharma. Yeah. You know? So what the Buddha realized was that in order to reach his potential, which was his his goal, uh, that he needed to develop this abiding that was easeful and pleasurable. He took a lot of A lot of criticism for that at first, until people realized that this guy was awakened. And maybe he was on to something in developing this easeful and pleasurable abiding. So when we have this easeful and pleasurable abiding, right? this is what we worked with in the meditation, when we have this easeful and pleasurable abiding, we're able to maintain ourselves in the present moment. We're able to maintain ourselves in the present moment. Uh, we're able to maintain ourselves in the body and stay in the body, in all postures, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. You know, Interestingly, of course, the Buddha found that he wasn't able to maintain himself in the present moment until he developed an internal abiding that was pleasurable. And of course this is because it's our human nature to seek out what's pleasurable. If your internal abiding isn't pleasurable, we are going to seek pleasure externally. So we're going to always be seeking pleasure externally and happiness externally. If it's in some kind of some external sense pleasure, if it's the phone, if it's in food, if it's in whatever it is, we're always going to be seeking, and the mind is always going to be going out, going out, until we're able to learn to develop an internal abiding that's pleasurable. And the Buddha said that. He said, I couldn't maintain myself in the present moment. I kept wanting external sense pleasure until I learned to develop an internal abiding that was pleasurable. So when we have an easeful and internal abiding that's pleasurable, we're able to maintain ourselves in the body in the present moment. The mind gradually will actually want to incline to being in the present moment. When there's an easeful abiding, pleasurable abiding in the body, we're more able to relate skillfully to our experience. So if there's difficulty, if we experience stressful experience, it doesn't have the same effect on us when the body is in a state of ease and we have a pleasurable abiding. Then we're able to relate skillfully to experience that stressful doesn't have the same effect on us when we have this internal pleasurable abiding. I always love that description the Buddha gave of stressful experience. Uh, You know, life is made up of stressful, you know, which means that it can conduce to suffering. Right? You Uh, You know? He described, you know, he gives this description uh, and this is from his first sermon, where he first delineates the path of internal pleasure, and then he delineates the noble truths, and he delineates uh, you know, the experiences of life uh, that can conduce to uh, us suffering over them because they're inherently stressful. Uh, he says birth is stressful, aging is stressful. Anybody want to vouch for that? Uh, death is stressful, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair are stressful. These are the conditions of life. How are you going to deal with them? How are you going to deal with these conditions of life? Birth is stressful, aging is stressful, death is stressful, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. That's all part of life. That's what we sign up for. It uh, was in the small print when you signed up for this experience of life. Uh, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair are stressful. Association with the unbeloved is stressful. Separation from the loved is stressful. Not getting what is wanted. Anybody ever not get what you want? Uh, In short, the five aggregates are stressful. The experiences, the conditioned experiences, of body and mind. All of these things are, uh, quote unquote, stressful. doesn't mean that we have to suffer. If we can relate to these experiences skillfully, we'll be okay in this life. This is what's going to happen in life. We're going to have these experiences. Anybody here not going to have aging and death? I want to talk to you later on. You can you can uh, email me after the class. You're the person I want to know. Everybody here is going to experience all those things that we mentioned. How are you going to relate to them? Your capacity to relate to them skillfully and take action that's compassionate, and loving, and skillful, and make the most out of your life, the Buddha found depends on having an internal and pleasurable abiding. The classical metaphor that the Buddha gave for this uh, is the metaphor of the salt crystal. He said if you take a big hunk of salt, right, and you put it in a cup, like this mug I'm holding up, right, uh, and you, you, this mug is filled with water, and you take this big hunk of salt, and you put it in the, in the cup filled with water, and you drink the cup, drink the water, it's ugh, it's gonna be terrible. It's gonna be too salty to eat, to drink, right? If you take that salt crystal and throw it in the river, or throw it in the ocean, let's say the river, or throw it in a salt, a freshwater lake, you're not gonna taste the salt. That's what concentration allows us, right? It gives us that bigger field. So these experiences don't have the same effect on us when we have a pleasurable internal abiding. They don't have the same effect on us, right? So a lot of times people will say to me, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling with this, that, and the other thing, and you know, our tendency is, well, let's, let's attack the issue at hand, which is fine. We can break down the issue at hand if it's you know, any of those that I just listed, but largely what we learn to do in our practice is create that bigger field, create that river Ganges, you know, create that bigger field so the experiences of life don't have the same effect on us. The metaphor that I always like to use, uh, which I uh, came up with many years ago, is the metaphor of the, what I call the metaphor of the adolescent, that's my version on the metaphor of the salt crystal, it's a little bit of a different slant, but if you think about an adolescent child, some of you have kids, a couple of you may even have adolescents. Uh, you know, an adolescent child, uh, you know, as an adolescent, a teenager, you experience a lot of difficulty. You know, it's like when you're a young kid, a lot of that stuff that I listed, you don't experience, right? But then, as you start to get a little older, you start to experience difficulty in life. You know, you're not part of the popular group. You don't get good grades. You don't make the sports team, you know? It's like, I could fit in all of the above when I was growing up. You know, and, you know, you know all of these things happen to you as an adolescent uh, if you have a good home environment where you're loved and cared and supported, you're able to move through those experiences and be a successful human being, an adult. If you don't have that, you're going to suffer. You know, And that's what the concentration, that's what jhana is like. It gives you that good home. It gives you that good home where the experiences of life that are difficult and challenging and stressful, all those experiences that I delineated are going to happen but you're able to hold them in a bigger field. so And then we're able to relate to our lives skillfully, with wisdom, with compassion, with love. Emotions arise, right? Emotions arise, just like in that passage. Uh, Sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. You know? Those are the experiences of life, the emotions that arise when we have this container, if you will, this this container that's easeful and pleasurable, those experiences, those emotions arise, uh, but they don't have the same effect on us. They don't have the same effect on us. We're able to meet our experience uh, with the heart, with wisdom, and with compassion, because those experiences of emotion that arise don't have the same effect on us. I mean, I I say this all the time, and I've seen this all the time, it's always so interesting because I thought as I practiced more, I'd have less emotions, and the emotions wouldn't be as intense, and they wouldn't arise as much, and all that kind of stuff. No, I just have a bigger field. I have more ease and more of a sense of well-being. The emotions arise; they arise all the time. They're going to arise all the time for you. They're going to arise. I mean, maybe they'll be a little bit less and a little bit less intense. But you've already planted those seeds of karma, and as a human being, you've already, you know, you you've already signed up for all those experiences. You know, your job is to create that bigger field of ease and pleasure. So what I see is all these things arise. It's life. You know, it's life. Uh, But these experiences that arise, these emotions that arise, don't have the same effect. It's like taking that salt crystal and throwing it in the river instead of throwing it in the cup. The salt crystals are there. It's, It's like, what are you putting them in that's different? When the body is in a state of ease and a state of pleasure, we're able to relate to others more wholeheartedly, with more skill, we're able to relate to ourselves, to the events of life, with greater effectiveness. With greater effectiveness. You know, they've, they've started to study this in neuroscience, you know, begin beginning to understand how how important it is, how the body feels, how the body feels, beginning to see, you know, some of the, Work that was done on flow states and things like that speaks to this. When the body is in a state of ease, when the body feels good, we operate more effectively as human beings. We all know this kind of right. We all kind of know this. How the body feels is important. You know the neuroscience and Antonio Damasio. Uh, there's some passage from, passages from him in, in my in that in that section from the book uh, speaks to this. Uh, Damasio says, uh, the pleasant and unpleasant, so he's talking about feeling tone of the body, uh, the pleasant and unpleasant designations, the way the body feels, correspond in a principled manner to whether the underlying global state of the body is generally conducive to the continuation of life and to survival and how strong or weak that life trends happens to be at a given moment. Malaise signifies that homeostasis, homeostasis, he defines as the state when the body is in a state of ease and internal pleasure. Uh, Malaise signifies that homeostasis is not right within the state of life regulation. Well-being, ease and pleasure, signifies that homeostasis is within the effective range. In most circumstances, there's nothing arbitrary in the relationship between the quality of the experience and the physiological state of the body. The physiological state of the body, whether there's ease and pleasure in the body, is directly correlative to our capacity to function effectively. We may see this sometimes with people as they get sick, or they get older, or they're dying, and you know, and, and, and they become irascible, or they become difficult. I mean, we saw that with my mother, you know? And, you know,, my mother always had her issues, but you know, in general, she was a you know pretty fun person to be around. She had a good sense of humor. Uh, we could always have good conversations, but when she got older and she got sick and she didn't have the skills, like the skills that we're learning and the qualities that we're learning to develop, she didn't have those skills. And you know she became bitter and angry, you know, and, and hard to deal with, and recalcitrant, you know. Uh, and it was a shame because you know, uh, you know, every once in a while some part of her her former self would shine through. But uh, it was it was sad because, because uh, you know her body was in a lot of pain, and the way she acted reflected that. You know, the way she acted reflected that. Uh, so when the body's in pain, it's very hard. You know, if your body's in pain right now, if there's physical uncomfortableness or malaise in the body, it's going to be hard to get a lot out of what we're talking about here today, right? The body feels good. There's this quality of ease. Then you can be here fully present for what I'm saying, for what others are going to say, for this experience, just this general experience of being here. The body is tight, tense, and doesn't feel good you know, the tendency might be to go into some kind of an aversive state or to think about I want some other state, right? You know, let me let me me put the uh, I don't want to leave the group. But let me click the stop video button, make sure I'm muted and go get you know, and go get a sandwich or something, you know, so that I feel good because the body is tight and tense, right. So when the body is in a state of ease and pleasure, we're able to be present, and we're able to stay in the heart. You know, when they talk about flow states, you know, one of the characteristics of flow states is there's ease and pleasure in the body. There's ease and pleasure in the body. Now, the idea of a flow state is the state at which we can be most effective, you know, uh, in which we can really accomplish things. There's ease and pleasure in the body. So I write about this a little bit in, my, in the book, you know. You know, they say that, well, if you want to get into a flow state, do an activity that you like doing so there's ease and pleasure in the body, and, and then you can get into a flow state, you know? So, you know, but, but we, we do things just sort of the opposite. Develop ease and pleasure so you're always in a flow state, you know? So you don't have to be, like, gardening in order to be in a flow state, you know? That's going to be hard when you're on the subway you know excuse me I'm going to take out my my tray of dirt you know and 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 and, you know and and make some plants on the subway so that I can be in a pleasurable flow state while I'm on the subway that ain't gonna work you know life is going to include dare I remind us birth aging death sorrow lamentation pain stress despair association with the unbeloved separation from the loved, not getting what is wanted You know, those are the conditions of life. We can still be in a flow state when we're experiencing all those things and all the different emotions if we cultivate this internal pleasure, this internal abiding that's easeful and pleasurable. So uh, ultimately, when there's ease and pleasure, we're able to stay in the body and the more we can stay in the body, the closer we are to the heart. The closer we are to the heart. So this is a basic principle. As concentration gets stronger, we move closer to the heart. Our awareness converges at the heart, the Tai Ajahn said. The more you're in the body, the more you're in the heart. The more you're in the body, the more you're in the heart. So the more we have ease and pleasure, the more we stay in the body, the closer we are to the heart. Most people are very far from the heart and are blocked off from the heart because they're outside of the body in some kind of an external sense pleasure and some kind of a mental state where they're checked out. The more we're in the body, the closer we are to the heart. The way that we get to the body is by cultivating an easeful and pleasurable abiding, a place where we want to be. When the body is in an easeful and pleasurable state, the mind wants to stay in the present moment. We're not forcing ourselves to be present. The mind wants to be in in the body and in the present moment. And the more we're in the body, the more we're able to converge and stay close to the heart. Stay close to the heart. We can stay close to the heart we can discern what it is that we need to do that's going to be in our best interests and the interests of others. We can discern what actions that we need to take that are in support of the heart. Because ultimately, your capacity to understand what actions are in support of the heart are going to come from having a connection to the heart. It's not intellectual, right? God knows that's not true. You know, me trying to figure out what was in my best interests all my life, you know, for all those years, you know, never got me to a good place. You know, never got me to a good place. Your capacity to understand what's in your best interests, what is in the best interests of those who are dear to you, your capacity to understand what actions are going to lead you to a true happiness is going to come through your ability to stay connected and to be connected to the heart that wisdom is in the heart that wisdom is in the heart and your capacity to take that action that the heart tells you is the action that's in support of love and compassion is in the heart your capacity that quality of intention of compassion and loving and kindness is in the heart yeah? so our ability to be able to take action that is going to be in support of us knowing true happiness depends on being in the body and staying close to the heart. So, you know, sometimes we say, do concentration and everything else the path will unfold for you. But what does that mean? That means stay in the body, develop an easeful abiding in the body so that you stay in the body with ease and with internal pleasure as much as possible And you'll be more and more connected to the heart, and you'll know what it is that you need to do in this life in terms of the actions that you need to take to be happy. And you'll take these actions. This is our path. Do concentration. Develop these qualities of ease and pleasure, because that's what will see you through.